0: This is The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, and thank you for joining us in our pursuit of better. To be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Dave Riding. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's good to have you here. Here we go. We're kicking off Season 2. Who would have thought that? And I'm pretty happy to say that I still have Kara and Jeff by my side. Kara Williams, how are you?
1: So good, Martin. It's so good to see you guys, too. Um, I'm really excited for season two. And I always thought we could do it. Always.
0: Did you? I thought it was 50-50 at best. Jeff, Vibert, <laughs> how are you doing, man?
2: Yeah, buddy. I'm really great. I'm great to see you guys, too. And, and I always thought we could do it, too, Martin. Uh, you're too hard on yourself, buddy. You're really good at this. And uh, and it's just great to be back. Uh, and we got some super cool guests lined up uh, our producer alice has done an amazing job behind the scenes securing some of these guests i'm not going to spoil any i'm not going to be the uh, spoiler for sure for future guests but i'll let you talk about that martin
0: we've got some cool ones coming up kara's favorite italian we're going to be speaking with her coming up that's going to be a cool one we we have um, some really cool guests lined up we have been working hard getting these people we're just trying to get a, a broad cross-section of some of the smartest most thoughtful Athletes and coaches around and get their insight. Jeff, what what's your plan looking like? What do you got coming up here?
2: Yeah, we're just getting ready to get back on snow for the first time this year. We've had a couple of hiccups with the COVID protocols and things, but we're uh, heading out to Sun Peaks in November with a large group of uh, athletes and looking forward to getting back on snow. I'm sorry, I'm going to miss you guys in Killington though, because that camp is right over that weekend. So
0: that work stuff gets in the way, huh? Kara, what about you? You've got a pretty cool winter uh, shaping up. Uh, a fresh set away or set of eyes on how you look at things? What are
3: you looking I at? I do.
1: I do indeed. I am really looking forward to this winter for the first time. I'm taking a bit of a step back from coaching. I'm going to be a mom, going to watch some ski racing and actually be there for my kids and not leave uh, the house two hours before them. I'm also going to do some some traveling and uh, some touring. i am going to I've got a big um, backcountry tour planned uh, with a spearhead just outside of Whistler. So pretty excited for that. And I'm excited to watch the World Cup. Like I want to see every single race and uh, starting in sold. And that really kind of lit the fire beneath me. And I'm really excited to get started on season two of the next turn as well.
0: Yeah. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, I'm excited for the Killington world cup. Obviously it's just up the road and the snow guns are going and we're fired up. We've got a lot of cool stuff happening with the podcast and some other cool stuff too. You know, you mentioned you got, you've got a couple cool trips coming up. I'm doing a, a, a trip or two with Alpine looks travel, which is a um, pretty cool venue it's uh, world-class travel, five-star stuff, but the added portion is some really great Olympians to go skiing with, from AJ Kitt to Donna Wybreck. Um, you got to go see this list of, of people. Um, Gary Miller's company, and it's uh, it's really cool to check it out. So alpinelux.com, um, you, you can find out a whole lot more there. All right, here we go. Dave Riding is our number one guest here on season two. And it was really cool. Jeff and I got to talk to him about a month ago. He's um, a fan favorite of a lot of Canadians for sure. And he's got a a, a, a big pull on this crew right here. Um, Kara's a bit of a fangirl for him. It's pretty amazing to listen to Kara talk about him. But let's start with some hard facts. Jeff, give us the hard facts on Dave Riding.
2: Dave, the Rocket Riding, born December 5th, 1986 in Lancashire, England. Started skiing on dry slopes at the age of eight, moved to snow at the age of 12, won the Europa Cup slalom title at the age of 25 without ever winning a slalom race that year, moved to the World Cup and now has three World Cup podiums, including second in 2017 Hanukkah slalom to none other than Marcel Hersher.
0: Jeff, thanks for the hard facts. That's incredible. Good stuff. Kara, you're a big fan. You've been a big fan, bit of a fangirl. For Dave Riding, what's the story here? What should we be listening for?
1: Well, I was absolutely a fangirl going in. And after listening to this interview, I'm I'm even more of a fan. I mean, as you said, Jeff, he grew up in Lancashire, Great Britain, which is possibly the flattest place on the planet. It hardly ever snows in Lancashire, which actually, as it turns out, didn't even matter because for Dave Riding, skiing was a summer sport. He would uh, train all summer long on these training runs that would last maybe all of 12 seconds. Um, And he still trains indoors to this day at the age of, uh, what is he, 34, 35? He still trains in Belgium, which I've got to think is pretty unique for a World Cup athlete. There is so much in this interview. I, I listened to it twice and I highly suggest listening to it two or more times because there's so many Easter eggs that, uh, that you're going to pick up here. Um, one of my favorite things that he talks about is is the need to uh, maybe try out different equipment. Um, I know that a lot of athletes struggle with this. Are they on the right stuff? And and he ended up jumping ship from Fisher and going back two years later. So when he talks about that journey and what it was like for him, I think it's pretty, pretty fascinating. So well done. Uh, what a great way to start off season two with Dave riding catch
0: yeah it is a good catch at least she sounds like calm and mature she doesn't sound like a fangirl at all huh jeff not (laughs) at all i love it well you i i think we're all going to be uh bigger fans the more you listen to this interview so here is dave riding on the next turn um where are you right now Uh, i'm at
3: home in In the the coffee shop no, I've, I'm, I'm out of there, thankfully, today. <laughs> I don't do too much work in there, like, um, in the seat, like, from when I start
0: training again, it's, I, I don't, I need my rest. Don't we all, right? Some of yeah. us get it, though. You're just back from Saus for yeah. a few weeks over there. How is the training over there? I, I bet you it was a, a different vibe this year with sort of fewer venues and more people there than yeah. usual. Like last year, actually, last year it was absolutely
3: rammed there with Europeans, um, obviously, some more Americans back in Saspé. Um, but it was good, good training. Uh, very stable weather, actually, for the whole of August into September. So, yeah, not many days where we couldn't ski. So, it was it was good. How long
0: was your block of training there? Do you uh, do, we do three about, weeks at a time, is it? We do, like, 18-day blocks. You know, we'll get to your development, uh, how you grew up on the grass slopes, but you're a big fan of indoor training as well. Where are some of those venues that you're hitting for indoor training right Um, now i used to always go to wittenberg and i did like
3: probably five at least five summers where i spent over 10 weeks in wittenberg in total um now i use one in belgium because wittenberg needs some tlc can't can't always get the conditions there that we need so now we use pair in belgium which is a bit flatter but still at the certain times of the
0: year it's it's certainly the best option when you go into the icebox as they as they call it and you're in there and you don't see daylight for three, four days. How do you, how do you stay focused on the training or is that why you can stay focused because you don't see the sun? How, how, how do you, what do you get out of the indoor training that you don't get out of the outdoor training?
3: Um, consistency. The, uh, the ability to just go in day after day, run after run to work on the same thing. Sasfe and, and the glaciers are great. For one, they're not really open in June that it's too warm or they're just not not open um and pretty much from now they get really variable conditions because it starts snowing a lot the weather turns so yeah it's a bit hit and miss so to get that consistency and the ability to focus on something day after
0: day we we go there for that now i've watched you at Suss Bay over the years and there's you're one of the guys that when I'm there with athletes, I say, "Watch what Dave's doing." Your your warm up over there is very methodical. You seem to be very drill oriented and process oriented over there. Can you touch a little bit about what you actually do in those camps and what you're working on? Yeah, so um,
3: like you say, I, I am very uh, drill or, drill oriented, especially in the summer because I I find that while you can work on things in in the in the the gates it's very hard to work on the technique or feel what might be in the wrong position or play around with certain things so yeah I'll take it normally I like to have at least four or five runs before I go in the gates to just methodically warm up methodically go through my feelings the processes how the top of the turns feeling initiating the turn all, all of that sort of thing and yeah I'm a kind of guy that likes to just drill myself I like to free ski I like to do all that. But if I'm not sort of thinking about what I'm doing, then I I don't always feel like I'm going in the right direction. So, yeah, very drill-oriented. It sounds boring, but it's not boring. I I enjoy what I do, and
0: um, that's how I do it. So, yeah. Well, if that boring stuff can be exciting and valuable, right? That's the lesson you want to learn. It's
3: certainly certainly exciting when it works in the winter
0: from that. (laughs) Yeah. You've gone through a few equipment changes over the, the last few years. How much yeah. of that are you doing in the summertime and how much is it a change of technique that changes, that changes your wants for the equipment or is the equipment that doesn't fit? Uh, how do you play that? You know, you don't have to go into who you're skiing with or, or what, yeah. but what's the criteria to, to play around with that equipment in the off season?
3: Yeah. Equipment is, is huge. Um, as you get better, you, you understand it more and, and you realize the difference it can make. Um, and the, yeah, like you say, I switched away from my brand Fisher that I'm back with now for two years for two reasons, really. One, I thought we were going in the wrong direction with certain things. And having done five or six years with Fisher, I, I was thinking, you know, what, what else is out there? And and am I at disadvantage? Turned out I wasn't. And it turned out it was much harder than I thought it was going to be to switch the amount of testing I was doing to try and find a comfortable setup over those two years was ridiculous. And I found I went away from doing my processes, doing what, what works for me because I was trying to find something that I could do that on. So yeah, th- I went back to where I felt comfortable. And then last year I managed to get back on the podium. I don't regret doing what I did because you never know until you try. Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah. It was one of those things, but equipment's huge. And even now, thankfully with Fisher, they're doing a lot of research and development this summer and pushing their product forward a lot in slalom, which is great for me because I'm a slalom skier. And yeah, hopefully going in the right direction and, and feeling, if not more comfortable than last year. So that's that's a good sign
0: already. When you roll into a place like St. Bay for those 18 days on snow, what's your quiver like? Is it is it like a dozen pair of Slalom skis, a pair of GS skis, and that's about it? Or uh, my equipment? How, do you, how do you travel? Oh, okay, so yeah,
3: I leave everything in Europe locked up away, but um, I don't travel like back here, thankfully, with it. Otherwise, it would be horrendous. Yeah. But yeah, I've got my token pair of GS skis. We'll start with that, that I occasionally <laughs> do some free skiing on, or quite a bit in the summer. Um, and then yeah, this year, I've got at least 15 pairs of slam skis over probably six different models if not more because my i've been joined with the younger guys and one of the guys is on fisher as well so we're really pooling everything together to to make progression with that which is good so yeah we've got
0: we've got more more than enough of what we need that's awesome i want to talk to you a little bit about that generation just behind you in great britain um it's a different pathway. And I know Jeff wants to get into that with you a little bit the, the pathway of how you go from Great Britain to Europe on snow and, and go from that way. But there seems to be a pathway that's starting to work for these British athletes. You know, you've got Charlie Raposo, but you've got Charlie Guest, Alex Tilly, um, a few others that are starting to make waves along the way. What is it? That specifically works, or starting to work with the the British ski team that, that's making these games.
3: Yeah, exactly. So I've I've been joined with two other slalom skiers as well this year. One of them, Billy Major, won the Europa Cup title last year, and the other one, Laurie, was seventh. So yeah, yeah. My my cool. apologies for leaving Billy out. He was on it. No, Sorry. no, no worries, no worries. It, but that so they're the two guys that are with me, and and hopefully I can help them try and make the next step while they help me by keeping me motivated, keeping me young, certainly a good vibe and and all that. But to be honest, the pathway, it's different for everyone. Um, But what seems to have worked over the the last, say, five, ten years, certainly with me and the, the girls, is the attention to, well, certainly for me is the attention just to slalom and a little bit more of a smaller team so we can focus on the individual more um, and do everything for that individual Um, a little bit like the Croatians do they have their small team. they're a small nation in terms of skiing but have a lot of success so I think it's the ability to have attention to detail that other nations can't have I've always lacked a teammate which might have pushed me along a bit more but then I would have lost a little bit of the attention to detail but yeah, my pathway was definitely different to, to anyone else's with the dry slope, skiing on plastic. The girls, they came through the same academy. Um, Charlie was went to America for to, to ski and, and school, and the other boys kind of did it through the British Academy club system as well. So there's a few options you can take. Um, I think the most important thing in Britain is giving them a little bit more time because we're always going to be behind, say, wherever america canada any european nation because we i don't have a mountain and that i can go and ski on i have a 12 second dry slope that i was learning on okay. um so then when i went to snow i had much more variables to learn later on i was always good on the flat on snow because of the dry slope but stick some ice under my feet and i was like bambi for many a year so <laughs> it, took my, it took me time and that's what we've got to um make sure we're allowing in britain is the athletes won't won't be at
0: the best until maybe 30 the time to mature onto actual snow makes a big difference jeff you've got some questions for dave about the dry slope and his upbringing right
2: yeah i do Uh, dave so uh, you talked about the dry slopes you didn't get on there till you're eight i think if i I got my facts correct your first time on snow was 12 years old in europe I, i i take it on a family vacation or some something like that and so your progression, you're kind of a bit of an outlier. Did you do other sports as a, as a kid or was it, did you just, once you got hooked on the dry slopes, you became a ski racer?
3: Yeah, I did a lot of other sports. Um, I think that's what helped me a lot. Certainly now um, I was playing football three or four times a week, rugby also, and then any sport the school was doing, I would try and get in the club for it for some reason. Like t- I was in the table tennis team, um, it was weird. I just loved sport, and I would. I only had one evening a week where I wasn't doing sport, and that's where I'd sort of cram in as much homework as I could to to allow me to do the to do the other sports. Um, for some reason, I think it was also family passion for skiing. I kept skiing rather than the football or or rugby or something like that. But also, I I didn't grow until I was like seventeen, eighteen. So yeah, I was getting out muscled certainly in rugby, but also on the football pitch. I, w- I wasn't the fastest guy anymore. um. So it all became tough in that. And I just kind of filtered towards the skiing because I was still, to be honest, I was rubbish at skiing in my first year of if, phys. If you look on my phys profile, I did three three races my first year of phys, a SLAM, a GS and a Super G. And uh, my best result was like 237 or something. So yeah, I, I just had to, I came later, but yeah, it's, it's the way i did it i maybe i could have been better if i was experienced more as a child but maybe i'd also be done by now
0: so it, you never know i just want to have dave talk a little bit specifically about the club and the dry slope itself like what's the club like what's the membership like what's it looking like now and what are these kids learning on this dry slope at a young age yeah. So now it's very similar, slightly more expensive as time
3: passes and 25 years has gone by before since. So it's obviously going to be a bit more expensive. But I, if I remember correctly, I went up to Pendle and went through the, the club sort of classes and then was invited to race train and to try it and loved it. I think it was £20 to join the club because it's not open to the public. And then it was £3 a, a two hour race training session. So very cheap in that sense. The equipment, obviously, you need. Um, and I used to go twice a week for uh, one and a half hours on a Sunday morning and two hours on a Tuesday evening. And then as you get better, you progress into your club races. You progress into regional races. And then there's a whole dry slope National Circuit that goes on. Um, and then it, my mum and dad would drive me around the UK um, to race every weekend almost. My football team weren't too happy about that if I had to miss a football match. But thankfully, football's in the winter. The dry slope scene is always in the summer, and in the UK, so yeah, it's not re- its not a winter sport as such. You're training in the winter, but you're racing in the summer. And then, yeah, got got um, into all that. Um, the national circuit was doing well in that, and then was selected to go on um, a uh, a snow camp in Yilo, actually. Just one week when I was, I think I was 13, and that was my first training experience on snow, was um, in Yilo, And it was a whole world just opened up to me. This I didn't even know about it, really, in the in the UK scene. I was watching it on TV, but I never really knew about the British clubs or anything. I just was loving the dry slope. Um, so I did one week when I was 13, then joined a club for snow, and then I was doing maybe five or six weeks a year until I was about 16.
2: I love the progression I, and I think you know it's it's common uh Dave that we have lots of uh of young men that don't grow until uh, Martin and I often talk about how what the progression is and how long it takes sometimes until you peak uh after you after you become a um, you know a full-grown adult right so um I and Martin you've asked those questions I, I think it's a great progression but I, I we also talk about the fact that you do other. You have to do other sports and it makes you a better all-around skier uh, if you have those other skills. So to answer my questions.
3: I would definitely uh, be an advocate for more sports when you're a kid. You're a kid, you don't have to focus on skiing until you're a bit older. Do, do a lot of skiing, but do a lot of other sports as well and you become a better athlete. You become fitter in all areas as well. You're not just this 12-year-old kid that only skis that can't kick a left foot or a right foot into a blooming triangle or something yeah (laughs) yeah you need to be coordinated you need to have all
0: that to be a to be an athlete I love that Uh, Jeff and I have joked. you know if we could just get rid of all youth sports and just have more recess until like 14 15 years of age and everybody's just playing I think we'd be better off I've worked some with some kids off of that came off of the dry slopes and their skiing is very precise and fundamentally strong but there's not a lot of finesse or necessarily athleticism that they can get until they start really moving on snow am i far off with that assessment
3: yeah you're just not exposed to as many variables so you don't you become very good at one thing and that's generating some speed from the ski and yeah good on the flats and for about 12 seconds (laughs) and you knock it after that so um yeah it's just we're not exposed to the variables you do get some pretty bad weather in the uk but you don't you don't get snow. You don't get ice. You don't get slush. You don't get bad pee sting, You you don't get any of that. So, yeah, they're all very maybe specific to a certain condition, um, and then they have to learn the other stuff as well. But if, if I always think if the coach is good and teaches them fundamentals, it's not too hard to go to the to the, yeah. the other stuff, and and you'll probably see a quite a quick progression on certain certain conditions where that. Their fundamental skiing is
0: good so they can adapt. It just takes a few weeks, maybe. Yep. No, when I see you ski now, you don't look like somebody that came from the dry slope. You bring a lot of athleticism to it. There's, there's a touch and a finesse in your skiing that seems really useful. You don't seem out of sorts a lot, um, so you keep it together. And that seems ooh, like in your sweet spot on those tough hills, which is ironic, you know, the Kitzbühls, the that you've done really well on really tough hills when you come from these grass slopes of 12 seconds. Is that a conscious effort for you to bring that level of athleticism, to bring that finesse intensity to it that you do? If you look at my skiing
3: in 2013, when I won the Europa Cup, I was very one-dimensional and did a lot of it through strength and really excelled in my strengths, which was like the flats. And if you watch the top of Levy and I qualified there in November, 2012. And I remember going there and I knew I was fast in like training before it on the, on the flatter, or easier piece. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and be as fast as I can to that steep and then just survive. And it worked. I, I got a top 30 out of it, but I wasn't great on the steeps and and until the year that I got my podium in School, I hadn't even finished in School. So after the Europa Cup, when I won it in 2013, I never won a race, but I won the title. I didn't score any World Cup points. So it was like maybe the first person ever to do that. I don't know. But my coach sort of sat down and thought, we need to change our plan. And bearing bear in mind, I think I was like 26, 27 at this point. And he said, you know, we need to get better fundamentally. So that's what that's when we went indoors and just started to go into repetition and just watch I had one turn better than the other, so we focused on my good turn and tried to bring it to my other my left my, from my right foot to my left foot, um, and that's what we did, and, and we did a lot of volume, and we put into a lot of work. We were doing it's nuts, but we would go into the Wittenberg hall at say twelve midday when it opened'd we'd do We'd do an hour and a half, come out, watch some video, tinker with some skis or something or whatever, have a coffee, go back in. And some days we'd do that until 6, 6.30, just in and out, in and out, watching video and just putting in crazy volume in the indoor halls. But it started to transfer into my skiing. Um, and there I think I also brought some intensity from the indoors because they're shorter. So if you, if you want to be fast, if you want to stand out, then you've got to be able to bring some intensity to the skiing. And I think that's where I got my intensity from i sometimes do struggle at the bottom of bottom of world cups because of the way i ski like my bottom split is not always but the majority of the time my worst Um, but i think it's because i've sort of done all my training indoors and and i'm very very energetic on my skis so it's not always the efficient most efficient over a minute but for 40 40 to 45 seconds i can do it and then it's kind of
0: survival mode after that. <laughs> you go as fast as you can for as long as you can and when exactly, you screw up yeah. you go as fast as you can start going as fast as you can for as long yeah as you can, and again.
3: people say you know go a little easier at the start and and i have tried that but but then i don't even get going and then if i'm slow at the start i'm slow at the bottom and it's sayonara so yeah i just put in what i have
0: every run how do you work with your coaches use your coaches what do you demand from them what do you ask for them what do they give you
3: yeah so i've actually been with my coach since 2010 and he was only 21 then or 22 we're the same age um so he's very very inexperienced when he came in but he had this work ethic that i was like this this is different this guy is not bothered about because he was young he wasn't bothered about being away he wasn't bothered about putting in time in the snow and he just wanted to help me and also well not prove himself but work his way as as a good coach so yeah I guess prove himself as well um so we just did everything together we would sit down and talk about video he would lead it but we'd talk over everything Um, and we still generally do that he he lets me have my input and he tells me his input and, and if I'm going the wrong direction he tells me a bit sterner about his side of things but I'm 34 now um but I still think I'm quite receptive you see quite a lot of older skiers who are set in their ways, yeah. rightly or wrongly. It just it happens that way because you are older and more experienced. But fortunately now I have more than just the coach. Until I was 28, I just, it was just me and my coach. So I was tuning my own skis and everything. But now I have a serviceman. And with the other boys, we have Alan Baxter as the assistant. Um, and we're all British, all fairly young. And that's what I think is, is key to our success, is the camaraderie and the work ethic we, we put in. I love that.
0: I want to switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind, and talk of, you know, you mentioned you're 34, you've got the Olympics coming up, you've got to be thinking, this is a pretty sweet spot. We've talked about it with other athletes, how hard it is to sort of prepare for one week of you want your best. We're talking, you're preparing for one day <laughs> yeah. um, and one event. How do you put that in perspective? Can I ask, what are your goals for the Olympics? What are you thinking about the Olympics? And how do you just keep it reasonable? Yeah,
3: so the Olympics is obviously the pinnacle. It's every four years. It's built up to be this, like, well, it's an unbelievable event. um, But there's so much hype, so much pressure that comes with that. And to be honest, I never dreamt of an Olympic medal when I was young. I only ever dreamt of trying to get into the world's top 30 if, I, if that was possible and go to an Olympics. So I achieved all these goals when I was like 28, whether that's a good or bad. But I, I, I'm not even, I'm not bothered right now about the Olympics. I want to prove myself every single race. That's why that's why I ski. I love com- the competition. I love trying to prove myself every single weekend. And I think that's that's how I want I will continue to be as long as I ski. And then obviously when February comes, everything will be for that race. And, and everything just naturally ramps up a, a notch to that race, whether it's subconsciously or consciously. Um, so yeah, I'm, right now, all I'm thinking about is training. I'm not even, not, Val d'Isere still pretty much three months away. So <laughs> it, it's, it's ages really. So I've just got to keep trying to train hard like this morning doing my plyometrics, um, tomorrow doing my running, weights, whatever it is, and just tick the boxes now. And then hopefully later on that'll take care of itself. I'm just gonna stay in the mindset to train hard and and work hard and the Olympics will be what it will be. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, it won't define me my career, because yeah, I'm not that set on just being defined by the Olympics.
0: I gotta think that that mindset, if if it's honest in the soul, it's going to be very advantageous for you, right? Like yeah. I, I think a lot of athletes try to pretend, no, oh, it's no big deal. I just like yeah. they say it, but it seems to me that in your career, you've you've always been very process oriented, and that's going to be very advantageous. Yes, yeah, I like,
3: and I've done three Olympics, um, and I went to the last Olympics, and I thought, you know what? I've done two already. I've had a top twenty, so it's not much pressure, um, and I'll turn up on a race day, and it'll be like any other race. And I remember skiing to the start, looking at the start hut and it had the Olympic rings on it. And I was just laughing to myself because I was like, you know, you know, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> everything's just gone out the window. And, yeah, uh, just yeah, to lying to I'm myself. I'm absolutely um, papping myself here. And I had a chuckle to myself. I was like, yeah, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Why were you even thinking that? So <laughs> I know I'll go to the Olympics. I know I'll be nervous and I know I'll have to put on a put on my best skiing just to get a top 10 like I did last time. So don't don't get me wrong. Um, I will be nervous. I will be trying everything I can to be good on that day. And I'm, I don't just want to talk like it, no, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah, right now, I just want to focus on the now and come Schladming, which is our last race before the Olympics. Then I'll be like, right, it's it's real, like it's game time now. And how am I going to get to that Olympics the best I can? If you have a bad World Cup season, if I drop out of the top 15, top 20, then the Olympics is over anyway, you know, I, I won't have the form, I won't have anything. So good World Cup season, get that under the
0: belt and then go for the Olympics is my plan. What's more nerve-wracking, starting in Schladming in the night race with the big crowds or stepping up there for the Olympics and seeing the rings? When I get a Drew Bib <laughs> one for my first time in the top seven, I was nervous,
3: <laughs> but probably still just the Olympics.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. But
3: bib uh, walk was
0: that was nuts. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that to me is the pinnacle of our sport, huh? Yeah. like yeah, That's was, what our sport should I be. I knew
3: I was going to draw bib one as well. It was after my podium in Kitzbühel, got into the top seven. And I, I was the first one to go to the bib draw for the top group. I was like, I'm going to pick number one. I, it's just like, I've got, I just, wherever I pick, number one's coming out. And then it did. And then I was like, oh, here we go. That's so
0: great. Yeah. What is, when you're working with like the younger guys coming up, how does you, you've gone from you and your coach being this individual little pod. Now you've got these younger guys that are pushing you, but you must feel that you, you have to set an example for them or create the, the culture. You know, you're 34, 35. Now as you, as you push on, I don't know how many more cycles you got in you. How do you know you've left a good mark?
3: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know how many cycles I've got left, but I always think I should be judged on how the next generation perceive me. And I just try to do every, every day as professional as I can. Don't get me wrong. If I go to a cafe with them and I want a cookie, I'm not the guy that'll be like, I'm not having that cookie because it's not the right. I'll occasionally have that. You know, I'm not yeah, no one's perfect, um, but I hope that they can see the, my consistency to my training on and off the slope, whether it be the skiing in the morning, the methodical processes, the hard work in the afternoon, and it's just day after day of doing that. Um, a, a good diet is is very important with the occasional treat or you kill yourself. Yeah, it's just that re- I hope I show them my relentless desire to be the best I can and, and to keep improving. And that's what I would like to leave on them so that they can be better than what I've been. And then the next generation looks at them and is better than that with more of them. That's the, that would be the ideal situation, whether that, it's down to what they think of me, I guess. I, I can't say, yeah, they, they love me because I don't, I hope they do, but you know, I don't know. Um, they'll think what they think. I just know when I, I, when Alan Baxter finished skiing, I thought, you know what, that guy worked, Crazy hard was a hell of a role model, and it was awesome for my career. Um, if I can have the same effect on the next generation, then I know that I've done, done what I can. That's awesome. Uh, Jeff
0: wants to ask you about some of your previous World Cup results.
2: So I got to think they love you, just like all the Canadians love you, and probably <laughs> everyone in Kitspiel after that podium there. You're Dave the Rocket riding, right? They got to love you. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <I'm> trying. <laughs> what was it like in that second run knowing that you had that shot uh
3: it was nuts um the whole day was crazy because so i never the whole build-up like i had never finished kids fuel before i'd ha- i was skiing good the year before but i came out halfway down the first time i inspected kids fuel, i got lost because i didn't know what roller i'd just gone over because was about five so I was like, right, how am I going to approach this race so I can finish this damn slalom? So I just watched on repeat the guy that was winning the first run from the year before, and that was Fritz Dopfer. And it was funny. I, I based quite a lot of my skiing on Fritz, Hiroshilov and Hemrick. So I was like, right, Fritz was winning. Let's see how he approached this race. And I just watched his run about 50 to 100 times, if not maybe more. I can't remember. And I thought, right, that's what I've got to ski it like. I only slept about three hours. So I was like, right, this is, this, this is up against it now. Just get to the damn finish, Dave. I was like, okay. So first run, ski down and I'm winning. I'm like, oh God, I'm in at the deep end now. But then I was leaving the finish area and I was having these emotions as you always do. And I was like, this is the same emotion as I had when I was leading my first big race on the dry slope. You walk away from the finish area you're winning, everyone's talking about you. There's a whole buzz around you. And I was like, this is just the same. It's much, much different. Um it's fuel. it's the cathedral, it's it's crazy. But the emotions inside and between the runs were the same. So for the second run, I was still in the mindset of like, I've got to finish. Like, I can't take my foot off off the sort of not finishing pedal and like risk everything because I've tried that the year before, it didn't work. So I watched Hersher and he did a run that I was just like, well, that was ridiculous. And I was like, right, the wind's gone. You're not beating that. (laughs) So then I was like, right, get in the start and just get to the bottom. And I think it was Stefano Gross was in second and he came out on about the sixth gate. So I was like, right, I'll be going in about 30 seconds. But then they held me the whole TV slot. So it was about three minutes. Boots done up in the gate. It It was crazy, but I just... I managed to stay in the zone where I was just like, right, just do the process and just get to the bottom. And then obviously saw second and was over the moon with it. And like I thought, I couldn't beat Marcel. And that was that but second felt like a win. And I think third one was
0: with Marcel in the field, yeah, for
3: sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it felt like a win and and yeah, it was it was nuts the whole day. And I was absolutely shattered for
0: Schladming two days later. How do you 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 talk about your diet, you talk about your physical preparation, you you know, you talk about this race and and the pivotal point of it wasn't physical, it wasn't diet, it was the mental aspect of where you got your head set. How do you, how much attention do you give that throughout the year in your preparation and your training? How important is it and how do you talk to yourself about it? Something that's really hard to do,
3: something I've kind of learned with experience, not necessarily working on it. Um, because I've just felt that's what's worked for me. And, and same this year in Alaboden, it was, it was a strange day. I'd just come off the back of 22nd in Madonna and then 27th in Zagreb. And I was, I was like, well, maybe I'm too old. Maybe I'm done. Um, and I'd slipped to 15th in the, the standings. And I thought, right, well, you know what? This could be your last ever race in the top 15. Just go out there and do your best skiing. And then I drew Bib 8, which I've only ever drawn once before. I've had it in a, in a, um, a Parallel City event as well because I was ranked 8 that day. And I was just like, right, go and, uh, go and do what you can do. This is your last race in the top 15, and you might be quitting at the end of the year. <laughs> it was a strange mentality. But the two, the two other times I've been Bib 8, I've finished on the podium. So I had Bib 8 on, and I was like, right, well, you've got one superstition and it's Bib 8 gets you a podium, so don't ruin it. So I was like, right, my last race in the 15, don't ruin Bib 8, let's have a crack. And I, It's just mental what the mind can do, and it's strange. I, I hope I can take that mentality forward, but it's very, very hard to do because you're so psyched up normally, you're so ready to put on your performance that you try very hard. That day I was like, right, let the skis go and, and, um, and, ski, and ski solid. And that's what I did. And maybe I need to try and get, do that more often, but it's easier said than done because I really want to go fat. I really want to push everything I've got, maybe tightening up too much. It's something I'll try and work on. Um, it won't come overnight, but it's, it's something I could still maybe get
0: better on at my age. It's it's really interesting hearing you talk because I think athletes, when it comes to the mental game can fall into a, a few different categories. Some have a lot of bravado. Yeah. You talk to them and you you spend time with them and this guy thinks he's the best in the world and it's his to win every day. And whether that's true or not, that's how they roll. And then it seems that you're on the other end of the spectrum a little bit where you're a little bit more introspective, fair and candid with yourself, what you're good at, not so good at. But hearing you talk about like doubts come in in an honest fashion, like sometimes when doubts come in your mind, I don't know if I can do this, I think Hersher just won that, that can wreck somebody. But it seems that that kind of honesty of self-talk with yourself and just acknowledging this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking seems to work for you. Okay. Yeah, it does. I
3: often quite have the same question. I often think like, why am I not this innerbred killer that thinks he can win every race that will go out there and try and w- I, I try and do my best every single race. I think that would come the better I get. So I, I'm a kind of I my goal is to be the top ten every single race. Well, top twelve is like my, my cutoff. I give a little a bit a little bit of a buffer zone there. That's my best. yeah. So I'm like, right, that's a good result. And then every, anything more is a bonus. If I've tried to think differently over the years where it's not it's not good enough to be twelfth and you have to be top five. I find that puts too much pressure on myself and I make more mistakes in that mindset. Yeah. I have some very, very fast sections, but I can't link a whole course together. Um, and I, I feel my personal strength is consistency. Um, I'm not always the fastest when I won the Europa cup title, I never won a race. So it, my strength, I know my strengths and I've got to try and improve my top speed for longer. i my feelings this summer are on point. My equipment's getting better. I feel like I can still win. I could still win one. I feel like I can still do better than I've, I've ever done before. And I think that's being honest with myself. And, I, and that's where there's positives. If you're always, yeah, if you stop believing, then you're done. But I still believe. And yeah, I'll try and keep, I'll try and work on my mindset for sure. Um, work on all these things. Uh, and then we'll see you in the season. I love that. It's like a belief in yourself, but it's also you got to verify it along the way, huh?
0: Trust, but verify.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I go very much off the facts and, and what's there in front of me, which is not always the best, but also maybe why I'm consistent. What is your biggest
0: strength when you're in the start gate? Is it your preparation? Is it the actual skiing? Is it, you know, you've talked about flat sections, steep sections, certain conditions. What makes you really good? Why are you? So freaking good. Um, I think it's
3: just the training, just the work ethic. And then with the training comes consistency. With the consistency comes the results. Yeah, there's no, I can't put any other stamp on it other than repetition, working hard. And then when the race comes, being able to rely on that training and my natural, not natural ability, but my, my learned natural ability that, that just then can take over. If it was flat, if there was more races like Levy or the top of Levy, what, what's similar to a dry ski slope, then I think you would see me more often in, on the podium. But that's not how the World Cups are. The World Cups are much more difficult, much more terrain. And I didn't learn that when I was young, so I think that's a bit of a disadvantage. But it's also why in Levy I've been very, very close to winning, falling over on the second run when I was nearly six tenths up, halfway down the steep, and then Two years ago, I was in second after the first run, and yeah, got to the bottom of the steep before falling again. And they're the races where I was like, right, just let this go and see if you can win it. Um, so it's getting that balance. I've, I've, I've still got to learn it. I'm still
0: trying to learn it. I love that. We've got a few minutes left. When I look at your season coming up, how do, I, how do we know if things are tracking? And sometimes your best results come after some shitty results sometimes like it's if you look at your career it's not like it's like a the 20th the 15th the 10th the 5th the podium it's kind of a rat what are you looking like what did how do you know you're on track how do we know you're on track so we're cheering for you i've got a side bet with i made a mistake i made a i made a flippant comment with nick fellows when we had him on last year he says we're talking about the olympics next year look for dave riding i kind of snickered at I apologize, right? (laughs) He's like, maybe some of the greatest So I'm looking at your ski and I'm talking to you now and I'm like, oh, this is, all right, this is real. How do we know you're on track? How do you roll the season so it's coming your way?
3: I think it will be quite easy to see. If I'm I'm knocking on the, the top 10 more often than I'm not, then you know that I'm in a, you'll know I'll be in a good place mentally because that's where I'm happy to be. And I think if you keep clocking off top tens, the next step will naturally come. If you're, if I'm fighting like I was two years ago just to be in the top fifteen, that's when I knew that something was wrong, and it and it wasn't it wasn't me anymore. It wasn't how I felt like I was naturally skiing or anything. So, yeah, top if top tens are coming, then I believe anything's possible for me. If I'm struggling, you won't see me in the top ten, and you can break me off pretty much. That's I think it's with everyone. I'm not every, doing every that more. yet. I'm not doing I think that. They're all the same. So. Come mid January. Let's see how I'm going, and then uh, you'll have a good idea on who's going to be the the protagonist for the for the
0: Olympics for the for the top three. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of the toughest ones to predict. I think oh, it's so with, with the hill, nobody being on it, nobody being over there. Slalom's slalom's
3: crazy right now. The the how ta- okay, we don't have Marcel, who would probably be the best still, but everyone else has caught up with Hemric, um and Clem and Noel, and these guys are not. As far as they were ahead, say, two years ago, it's, it's so tight. And if you just have to look at Adebode, and I was 1,500 off the win in third. But if I was 1,500 slower, I'd have been seventh or eighth. And that's how I perceive this season to be as well. Um, yeah. So if I can gain that few extra tenths, then I think it's, get, it's game on. And hopefully I can do that. Not a lot of wiggle room, huh? There's no wiggle, no wiggle room in slalom. That's what's difficult is staying in the top 15 year after year because you've got to be on your game every single year. You can't afford to slip up. You can't afford to slack off your training in any in any area. So, yeah, hopefully I've proved that I can do that. So hopefully that's going to be my strength when
0: everyone's tight. Who knows? Jeff's got one more question that you may love or or may hate. Go for it. Uh,
2: yeah, my, I, listen, I love it, Dave. And uh, we are going to be cheering for you no matter what. So how much longer are you going to do this? Are so you going to be the Tom Brady of slalom skiing?
3: It's a question I'm getting asked a lot naturally because I'm, I'm the oldest in the top 15 by about three years now, but coming to it late, I, I feel young. Um, I feel having some young teammates is a massive advantage to me now as well. Um, so a natural, a natural thought process is the Olympics. Everything's on the Olympics. Um, And then I'll be able to take a step back and then I'll think, right, what am I actually going to do? Until the Olympics, to be honest, I've tried to say to myself, you know, the Olympics could be a last race or blah, blah, blah. But to be honest, it's not true. But there'll be more things I have to take into consideration. My fiance, we should be married, but COVID came. She's had to sacrifice a lot as well. So I've got to put more focus on what she wants a family. Life after skiing, and, and then we'll see if if I feel I can still commit to skiing like I want to, and be able to keep every, my fiance happy. And I don't want to die lonely. So <laughs> yeah, that that will I'll have to spend some time thinking about that after the Olympics. But now everything's to the Olympics or so the end of the season, and then I'll decide. You know, I'll take it year by year. I feel it will be an easy decision once that time comes because. I'll either, my body will have given in, I'll hate it, or I'll be sucking. So I'll have no choice. It'll be a very <laughs> easy decision to make. If I'm sucking, you know that I won't carry on. Otherwise, I'll probably be carrying on. And, and if I can keep going to, like, late 30s, then I think it's a, a testament to my ability to keep in good shape and the motivation. And And, you know, everyone talks about Cristiano Ronaldo in Europe about how good he is at 36, you know, so... Yeah, if I keep things going the right way and have a bit of luck, then maybe I can yeah, be the Tom Brady or the Cristiano Ronaldo. They're really, really on the top. They're like the Hirschers, but if I can still keep mixing it with these young guys, I'd be more than happy to keep going. I
0: think a fair comparison is Andy Murray. Yeah. Right? I, I yeah. Just, it, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his. I'm a, I'm a tennis player as well. I'm a fan of his. He's got some great determination. He's steely. He's yeah. honest sometimes cruel to himself but just steady on steady on and has got a huge heart to give back to the sport you look what he's doing with the younger kids oh, yeah. like this like it's incredible so i encourage you to keep doing what you're doing and keep giving the way that you're giving of yourself to the the skiers in great britain and it seems like it's working for them and working for you and i'm already gonna write i'm gonna venmo nick fellow some money because I I don't want to take the bet anymore. <laughs> I don't want to take Steve it anymore. You can do an early catch-out. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, tell you what. I'll out now, and I'll give you all the credit later. All right, welcome back. Thanks so much. Um, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dave Riding. It was really great for him to give us as much time and insight as he did. So thank you, Dave. It's now time for Thoughts of the Day. We brought this back for Season 2. A good chance for us to share what we're thinking about the interview, Jeff. You were in on the on the call with Dave. What are your thoughts of the day?
2: Well, Martin, I mean, this guy—it's an incredible story, as Kara mentioned uh, earlier in the in the episode. To start at eight years old on plastic, and then don't doesn't ski on snow until he's twelve years old—is a story in itself. And then to be on the World Cup at age twenty-five and be on there for ten years, training indoors because he loves it is just fascinating like in i think the phrase outliers coined by malcolm gladwell comes to mind he's an outlier if you look at where men peak on the world cup and how they get there in their journey you think about kids that come from Austria, had been on snow since two years old well this kid just bucked all those trends and perseverance you know tuning his own skis well he's you know he's his own service Training manager, everything else on the first few years in the World Cup is is a great story. And not only that, he's just a prince of a guy. Just a complete prince of a guy, as you, as you know, Martin, after the interview. And now he wants to get back to the sport and is a great role model for those younger kids. I, I think if Kara's a fangirl, I'm a fanboy. I love the guy. I want to cheer for him. And I really do hope he's the Tom Brady of alpine skiing, and he goes as long as he can.
0: He's got a good chance to be the Tom Brady because of sort of his later development. He seems a lot fresher. He's 34, but sort of in his ski career, he's a lot younger than that. And you talk about the outlier stuff. He's put in 10,000 hours, the way he works on the glacier and, and indoors is really quite remarkable. huh?
2: Yeah. There's no question. I mean, this guy, I, I just want to wrap everything up about him and give it to every single athlete that we coach. Kara, what are your thoughts of the day?
1: Oh, I just I love listening to him and I learned so much about him and about his process and I really love his perspective. He talks about the fact that he was virtually alone with his coach for years on uh, on the World Cup, um, and he, as you said, Jeff, he did his own skis. He tuned his own skis until the age of twenty eight. Like I think that includes going to the Olympics at least once, maybe twice. And for me, it's it really all comes back to the hard work. He says he is where he is because of the hard work and plain and simple. But he also attributes some of that success to uh, when some other skiers from Great Britain joined the team and he was able to have this camaraderie. And um, as you said, he's a great role model to ask. skiers like Alex Tilley and Billy Major. Um, he's been around the block, this guy, you know, and he, he's he's he got such a unique story. I really also loved when he talked about going to the Beijing Olympics, um, which are coming up in a few months. He's not stressed, he says, but he, when he talks about the last Olympic experience, he was in the start gate. He sees the Olympic rings and the brevity of the moment just kind of like it, it hit home to him. And he was like, God, who am I kidding? My, you know, th- this is the Olympics. This is this is it. This is the prom." <laughs> I, I just thought he was so like he was trying to play it cool and he was playing it cool. But then he also he gets it. Um, he gets the brevity. He gets the the moment. And uh, he's just such an interesting, interesting dude with such an interesting perspective.
0: He's he's very self aware. It seems, huh? Like like he he talks the talk, but then he's also very honest about it. I found that pretty interesting, huh, Kara?
1: Yeah, and he, he he said what motivates him was was trying to be his best. Like his goal in every race is to prove himself. He kept saying that over and over again. And I don't know who he's trying to prove himself to because he's already proven himself to me and to you guys. I'm sure. But man, this guy is the real deal. Like he he's going out there. He's working hard. Is he working harder than everyone else? Maybe it sure sounds like he's trying, and uh, God, I just love watching him ski. I just, I it, as you always say, Martin, it makes it so easy to cheer for him. Great interview, guys. Martin, what are your thoughts of the day?
0: I got to echo both of you in in a in a few different ways. One, he, he has such a blue collar work ethic. He 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 just does the grind, and he and he embraces it, and he seems to really love it and thrive for it. He seems to, I, I, his mentality, like you touched on a little bit, is pretty interesting. He's he's a pretty harsh critic of himself, but he's also pretty fair and really reasonable. He's fact-oriented, not as emotional-oriented. He seems m- to go back to the facts, and, and whatever those facts say, if he's had a good day or a bad day, he, he can stick to that and handle, but handle it. I love the idea that Jeff's talking about, that Tom Brady, he does seem young for his age, and I think he seems to have a bit of freshness from that younger generation, a freshness of energy being brought in by that young group that's that's coming along with him. And I think he's really embracing the leadership role and, th- and that's going to help him. He, he just, he does have a unique pathway. He's done the grind. He's just a really easy guy to cheer for. He, he really is. And he's got that stiff upper lip kind of English mentality. Doesn't mind getting scuffed up a bit. It's pretty cool. I can't wait to see what he does. I think his best stuff still might be ahead of him, even at 34, 35 years of age. So I can't wait to see what he does. So that's episode one with Dave Riding. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Jeff. And obviously, thanks to Dave Riding. We'll be back soon. Hope to see you here on the next turn.